Welcome to Celebrate Poe, episode 202, A Telltale Confession. Now, the previous episode of Celebrate Poe dealt with a madman's manuscript as a possible influence on the telltale heart. This episode deals with another short story by Charles Dickens that also could have served as a possible influence on Poe's story. Dickens' short story, A Confession Found in a Prison in the Time of Charles II, is set in the period of the restoration of the Stuart monarchy around the 1680s and uh, depicts the narrator's conflict with his nephew. The narrator goes on to kill his nephew and is subsequently tormented by the child appearing in his dreams, similar to the narrator of the telltale heart killing the old man and then being tormented, at least in his mind, by that same old man. So I uh, hope uh, you were familiar with the telltale heart from episode 200 and uh, encourage you to see the story's elements in A Confession Found in a Prison. I think a confession found in a prison is even creepier. Well, uh, if it isn't uh, Mr. Dickens and and Mr. Poe. Uh, Mr. Dickens, uh, would you care to read aloud a confession found in a prison in the time of Charles II? Certainly, Mr. Bartley. A confession found in a prison in the time of Charles II. I held a lieutenant's commission in His Majesty's Army and served abroad in the campaigns of 1677 and 1678. The treaty uh, being concluded, uh, I returned home and, retiring from the service, withdrew to a small estate lying a few miles. Ah, yes. A few miles east of London, uh, which I had recently acquired in, in right of my wife. This is the last night I have to live, and I will set down the naked truth without disguise. I was never a brave man, and had always been from my childhood of a sullen, secret, distrustful nature. I speak of myself as as if I had passed from the world, for while I write this, my grave is digging and my name is written in the black book of death. Soon after my return to England, my only brother was seized with mortal illness. This circumstance gave me slight or no pain, for since we had been men, we had associated but very little together. He was open-hearted and generous, handsomer than I, more accomplished, and generally beloved. Those who sought my acquaintance abroad or at home, uh, because they they were friends of his, they seldom uh, attached themselves to me long, and would usually say in our first conversation, 
that they were surprised to find two brothers so unlike in their manners and appearance. It was my habit to lead them on to this avowal, for I knew what comparisons they must draw between us, and and having a a rankling envy in my heart, I, I sought to justify it to myself. To myself. Uh, We had married two sisters. This additional tie between us, as it may appear to some, only estranged us the more. His wife knew me well. I never struggled with any secret jealousy or gall when she was present, but that woman knew it as well as I did. I never raised my eyes at such times, but I found hers fixed upon me. I never bent them on the ground or or looked another way, but I felt that she overlooked me always. It was an inexpressible relief to me when we quarreled, and and a greater relief still when I, I heard abroad that she was dead. It seems to me now as if some strange and terrible foreshadowing of what has happened since must have hung over us then. I, I was I was afraid of her. She she haunted me. Her fixed and and steady look comes back upon me now, like like the memory of a dark dream, and makes my blood run cold. She she died, uh, shortly after giving birth to a child, a boy. When my brother knew that all hope of his own recovery was past, he called my wife to his bedside and confided. This orphan, a child of four years old, to her protection. He bequeathed to him all the property he had and willed that in case of uh, this child's death, it should pass to my wife as the only acknowledgement he could make her for her care and love. He exchanged a few brotherly words with me, deploring our long separation and being exhausted, fell into a slumber from which he never awoke. We had no children, and as there had been a strong affection between the sisters, and my wife had had almost supplied the place of a mother to this boy, she loved him as if he had been her own. The child was ardently attached to her, but he was his mother's image and face and spirit, and always mistrusted me. I can scarcely fix the date when the feeling first came upon me, but I soon began to be uneasy when this child was by. I never roused myself from such moody train of thought, but I marked him looking at me, not with mere childish wonder, but with something of the purpose and meaning that I had so often noted in his mother. It was no effort of my fancy, founded on close resemblance of feature and expression. I never could look the boy down. He feared me, but seemed by some instinct to despise me while he did so. And even when he drew back beneath my gaze, as as he would when, when we were alone to get nearer to the door, he would keep his bright eyes upon me still. Perhaps I hide the truth from myself, but I do not think that when this began, uh, I med- mediated to do him any wrong. 
I may have thought how serviceable his inheritance would be to us, and may have wished him dead, but I believe I I had no thought of compassing his death. Neither did the idea come upon me at once, but by very slow degrees, presenting itself at first in dim shapes at a very great distance, as men may think of an earthquake or the last day, then drawing nearer and nearer and, and losing something of its horror and improbability, then coming to be part and parcel, nay, nearly the whole sum and substance of my daily thoughts, and resolving itself into a question of means and safety, not of doing or abstaining from the dead. While this was going on within me, I never could bear that the child should see me looking at him, and yet I was under a fascination which made it a kind of business with me to contemplate his slight and fragile figure and think how easily it might be done. Sometimes I would steal upstairs and watch him as he slept, but usually I hovered in the garden near the window of the room in which he he learned his little tasks, and there, as he sat upon a low seat beside my wife, I would peer at him for hours together from behind a tree, starting like the guilty wretch that I was at every rustling of a leaf, and still gliding back to look and start again hard by our cottage, but quite out of sight, and, and if there were any wind astir of hearing too, with, with a deep sheet of water, I spent days in shaping with my pocket knife a rough model of a boat, which I finished at last and dropped in the child's way. Then I withdrew to a secret place, which he must pass if he stole away alone to swim this bauble and lurk there for his coming." He came neither that day nor the next, though I waited from noon till nightfall. I was sure that I had him in my net, for I had heard him prattling of the toy and knew that in his infant pleasure he kept it by his side in bed. I felt no weariness or fatigue, but waited patiently, and on the third day He passed me, running joyously along with his silken hair streaming in the wind. And uh, he singing, God have mercy upon me, singing a very merry ballad. Who could could, uh, hardly lisp his words? I stole down after him, creeping under certain shrubs which grow in that place. And none but devils know with what terror I, a strong, full-grown man, tracked the footsteps of that baby as he approached the water's brink. I was close upon him, had sunk upon my knee and raised my head to thrust him in, when he saw my shadow in the stream and turned him round. His mother's ghost was looking from his eyes. The sun burst forth from behind a cloud. It shone in the bright sky, the glistening earth, the clear water, the sparkling drops of rain upon the leaves. There were eyes in everything. The whole great universe of light was there to see the murder done. I know not what he said. He came of bold and manly blood, and child as he was, he did not crouch or fawn upon me. 
I heard him cry that, that he would try to love me. Not, not that he did. And, and then I, I saw him running back towards the house. The next I saw was my own sword naked in my hand, and he lying at my feet, stark dead, dabbled here and there with blood, but otherwise no different from what I had seen him in his sleep. In the same attitude, too, with his cheek resting upon his little hand. I took him in my arms and laid him very gently, now that he was dead, in a thicket. My wife was from home that day and would not return until the next. Our bedroom window, the only sleeping room on that side of the house, was but a few feet from the ground, and I resolved to descend from it at night and bury him in the garden. I had no thought that I had failed in my design, no thought that the water would be dragged and nothing found, that the money must must now lie waste, since I must encourage the idea that the child had lost or stolen. All my thoughts were bound up and knotted together in the one absorbing necessity that I had done. How I felt when, when they came to tell me that the child was missing. When, when I ordered scouts in all directions, when I gasped and trembled at everyone's approach, no tongue can tell or mind of man conceive. I buried him that night. When I parted the boughs and looked into the dark thicket, there was a glow-worm shining like the visible spirit of God upon the murdered child. I glanced down into his grave when I had placed him there, and still it gleamed upon his breast, an eye of fire looking up to heaven in supplication to the stars that watched me at my work. I had to meet my wife, and break the news, and give her hope that the child would soon be found. All this I did, with some appearance, I suppose, of being sincere, for I was the object of no suspicion then. Uh, This done, I sat at the bedroom window all day long, and watched the spot where the dreadful secret lay. It was in a piece of ground which had been dug up to be newly turfed, and which I had chosen on that account, as the traces of my spade were less likely to attract attention. The men who laid down the grass must have thought me mad. I I I called to them continually to expedite their work, ran out and worked beside them, trod down the earth with my feet, and hurried them with frantic eagerness. They had finished their task before night and then I thought myself comparatively safe. I slept, not as men do who awake refreshed and cheerful, but I did sleep, passing from vague and shadowy dreams of being hunted down to visions of the plot of grass, through which now a hand, and now a foot, and now the head itself was starting out. At this point, I always woke and stole to the window to make sure that it was really not so. That done, I crept to bed again, and thus I spent the night in fits and starts, getting up and down and lying fifty full times and and dreaming, uh, dreaming that, that I had never tried to kill him at all. To, to wake from that dream 
was the most dreadful agony. The next day uh, I sat at the window again, never once taking my eyes from the place, which, although it was covered by the grass, was as plain to me, its shape, its size, its depth, its jagged sides and all, as, as if it had been open to the light of day. When a servant walked across it, I felt as if he must sink in. When, when he had passed, I looked to see that his feet had not worn the edges. If a bird lighted there, I was in terror, lest, lest by some tremendous inter- interposition it should be instrumental in the discovery. If a breath of air sighed against it, to me it whispered murder. There was not a sight or a sound, how ordinary, mean, or unimportant whatsoever, but was fraught with fear. And in this state of ceaseless watching, I spent three days. On the fourth there came to the gate one who had served with me abroad, accompanied by a brother officer of, of, of his whom I had never seen. I felt that I could not bear to be out of sight of this place. It, it, it was a summer evening, and I bade my people take a table and a flask of wine into the garden. Then I sat down with my chair upon the grave, and being assured that nobody could disturb it now without my knowledge, tried to drink and talk. As I hoped by, that my wife was well, uh, that uh, she was not obliged to keep her chamber, uh, that they had not frightened her away. Uh, well, what could I do though? But uh, what could I do but tell them with a faltering tongue about the child? The officer, who, whom uh, I did not know, uh, was uh, a down-looking man, uh, and uh, kept his eyes upon the ground uh, while I was speaking. Even that terrified me. I could not divest myself of the idea that he saw something there which caused him to suspect the truth. I asked him hurriedly if he, suppose, if he supposed that, and stopped. That the child has been murdered, said he, looking mildly at me. Oh, no, what could a man gain by murdering a poor child? I, I, I could have told him what a man gained by such a deed. But no one better, but, but I held my peace and shivered. My, my emotions, they were endeavoring to cheer me with the hope that the boy would certainly be found. Great cheer that was for me when, when we heard a low, deep howl, and presently there sprung over the wall two great dogs who, bounding into the garden, repeated the bang sound that we had heard before. Bloodhounds, cried my visitors. What need to tell me that? I had never seen one of their kind in all my life, but I knew what they were for and what purpose they had come. I grasped the elbows of my chair and neither spoke nor moved. They are of the genuine breed, said the man whom I had known abroad, and being out for exercise have no doubt escaped from their keeper. Both he and his friend turned to look at the dogs, who, with their noses to the ground, moved restlessly about, running to and fro and up and down and across and round in circles, careering around like wild things, and all this time taking no notice of us, but ever 
and ever again repeating the yell we had heard already, then dropping their noses to the ground again and tracking earnestly here and there. They now began to snuff the air more eagerly than they had done yet, and although they were still very restless, no longer beat about in such wide circuits, but kept near to one spot and constantly diminished the distance between themselves and me. At last they came up close to the great chair on which I sat and raised their frightful howl once more, tried to tear away the wooden rails that kept them from the ground beneath. I saw how I looked in the faces of the two who were with me. That they sent some prey, said they both together. That they sent no prey, cried I. In heaven's name, move, said the one that I knew. Move, or you will be torn to pieces. Let them tear me from limb to limb. I will never leave this place, cried I. Are dogs to hurry men to shameful deaths? Hew them down, cut them in pieces. There's some foul mystery here, said the officer, whom I did not know drawing his sword. In King Charles's name, assist me to secure this man. They both sat up and forced me away, though I fought and bit and caught at them like a madman. After a struggle, they got me quietly between them, and then, my God, I saw the angry dogs tearing at the earth and throwing it up into the air like water. What, what more have I to tell? That, that I fell upon my knees and, and with chattering teeth confessed the truth and prayed to be forgiven? That I have long since denied and now confess it confess to it again that that I have been that I have been tried for the crime found guilty and sentenced that I have not the courage to anticipate my doom or bear up manfully against it that I have no compassion no consolation no hope no friend that that my wife who has happily lost for the time those facilities which would enable her to know my misery or tears, that I am alone in this stone dungeon with my evil spirit, and that I die tomorrow. <laughs> Again, Mr. Dickens, I thank you very much. That was an incredible story. You know, I, could, I think a really good way to conclude this episode would be, let's go over to Mr. Poe now, uh, for Mr. Poe to read a very brief comment from his review of Master Humphrey's Clock by Mr. Dickens. And this was be, would have been published uh, in Critical Notices in Volume 2, Number 5, June 1836 of the Southern Literary Messenger. Certainly, Mr. Bartley, I, I wrote that, quote, of all the tales held within Master Humphrey's Clock by Mr. Charles Dickens, a confession found in a prison is a story of remarkable power, truly original in conception, truly original in conception, and worked out with great ability. Thank you, Mr. Poe and Mr. Dickens. Mr. Bartley, Mr. Poe and myself 
must say adieu. Now, uh, in, although it's not possible to ascertain absolutely that Poe drew consciously upon Dickens' tale, the coincidences are, are really strong, and in this case, no way, in no way detract from Poe's genius. If anything, the improvement of the telltale heart being so concise over a confession found in a prison and a madman's manuscript shows Poe's great skill as a master of suspense during this extremely creative period in Edgar Allan Poe's life. Now, in the next episode, the final episode for now regarding the telltale heart, I want to delve into a legal conviction, not guilty by reason of insanity, uh, that was somewhat controversial, controversial during Poe's lifetime. The reason that I'm going into this legal matter is because Edgar Allan Poe actually wrote about a, a similar real-life case where the verdict was not guilty by reason of insanity. And I received special permission to use Poe's article about the trial uh, where this verdict was used or where this uh, uh, pleading was used in Alexander's Weekly Messenger from 1840 uh, as later published in the uh, 1942 Proceedings of the American Antiquarian Society. Let me try that again. American Antiquarian Society. And this will make a lot more sense next week. But... uh, the second part of that episode uh, is an AI account of how such a verdict might have affected the unnamed narrator of the Telltale Heart. So join episode 203 for the Telltale Verdict. Thank you for listening to Celebrate Poe. Thank you.